Thank you, students, for that beautiful explanation of a text of Scripture that we see originating from Exodus chapter 3 in this revelation of who God is. He is I am. He is the one who is to come. Church family, I want to say before I begin the sermon this morning, thank you so much for your incredible display of kindness. Last Sunday, our family was completely encouraged by your display of love, and we greatly appreciate it. I do have to tell you, I am more than thrilled to schedule for any and all of you individually a private viewing of the Charles Spurgeon sermon, if you're wanting to see that thing. I would love to take 20 minutes with every one of you and walk through just how incredible that thing is. On a serious note, if you'd like to see it, I I really would love to show it to you. What an incredible gift. Thank you so much, church family, for your display of love and affection. Let me encourage you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, as we continue to make our way through this incredible declaration and revelation of God to his people. If you remember last week, we were in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, and there we had this incredible experience of Moses and the burning bush and the Lord speaking to Moses through this burning bush. And Moses has been given this task to go back to the nation of Israel and lead them out of bondage to the nation of Egypt. How in the world will Moses have the confidence to do that which God has tasked him? How will he know with some sense of confidence that he's moving in the right direction? How will he know if this indeed is God's leadership in his life? And then imagine being the nation of Israel. How long have you been enslaved now? 400 years. I don't even grasp 400 years. 400 years is too big for me to even comprehend. I'm 41. I can barely grasp 41 years. For me, a very long time is like six months. For some of you graduating today, you felt like high school was four years, really 40 years, right? And some of you graduating college, that four years turned 40 years is like 80 years. We don't comprehend 400 years. But you're Moses. You've been estranged. How long has Moses now been estranged from the people of God? 40 years. Moses has been away from the people of God almost as long as I've been alive. When he left Egypt, when he left Israel in Egypt to go to Midian, he wasn't necessarily even among his people. After all, Moses lived in Pharaoh's house. He lived in great privilege. He lived with incredible wealth. He lived with the greatest strength and power known to man as an expression of everyday life. So we might argue that Israel 
that, sorry, Moses has actually been estranged from Israel, perhaps from the moment in which he left his mother. When he left Egypt, how did he leave Egypt? Did he leave Egypt, this mighty, victorious warrior, or did he leave in fear? He left in fear. That's exactly right. Thank you. He left in fear. He had killed a man. So he leaves in fear. He goes down to to Midian. He's been away from the nation of Israel for sure for 40 years now. But now he has this task to go back to Israel, insert himself into the narrative with a sense of authority and might. And how's he going to do that? <clears throat> Hello, it's me, Moses. Yoo-hoo. Listen to me. Who? We don't recognize you. We don't know you. You're who? So how will God prepare Moses for this unique experience of being separated from the people of God, now going back to the people of God, and with great authority and power to say to the people of God, I know you don't really know me. I know what you know of me last is not all that flattering. But by the way, guys, I want all of you to follow me out of Egypt. Are you signing up for the trip? Are you ready to go? No. So we see chapter 3 and this incredible preparation of Moses' heart for what's going to take place throughout the rest of the narrative, but for sure throughout the rest of this narrative that we're currently into, the end of chapter 4. So imagine now Moses. He's had the encounter with God in the burning bush. You think he's going to tell the nation of Israel his experience with God? In that way, you better believe it. You think that might elicit a few more listening ears? I can imagine. And so here we are. Moses has had the encounter with God through the burning bush. He's now going to receive this divine revelation from God go back to the elders of the nation of Israel and to the nation of Israel and say, hey guys, I've got a divine plan to leave us, to lead us out of slavery and into freedom. And so our narrative picks up here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, through the end of the chapter in verse 22. And here we see that God's name His very character serves as a foundation of trust and confidence. The revelation of God's name, a communication of his character, serves as a foundation of trust and confidence that God is who he says and will do what he promises. The nation of Israel has indeed heard the name Yahweh. 
We go all the way back to Genesis in the early chapters of Genesis, and there God had revealed himself to the nation of Israel as Yahweh. But no doubt, as you will notice as this story unfolds, there's very much this sense that the nation of Israel, and even perhaps the elders of Israel, some of whom had forgotten this revelation of God. But you can imagine 400 years away, away from God, if you will, down in slavery, encapsulated in a culture that was, uh, had plenty of gods everywhere, Gods were a plethora of gods in every imaginable form. You can imagine that many in Israel had forgotten who God was. They had become syncretistic in their worship. They had taken some ideologies from uh, Pharaohism and some ideologies from, uh, from uh, the God of Israel, and they had merged them together, and they had created gods in their own image. And the text indicates that there had been this forgetting of exactly who God was and is. But God, through this revelation of his character, is going to remind the nation of Israel exactly who he is. And that revelation, friends, will serve as a foundation of truth and confidence so that the nation of Israel may know every step they take from here to freedom is a step with a God they can trust, for he is who he says he is, and a God in whom they can have confidence, for he will provide in the ways he's promised. Look what happens beginning here in verses 13. And 14, God is going to make this revelation of himself to the nation of Israel. Then Moses, verse 13, said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? There's already here in this question a hint of a number of things. There is a hint, at least from Moses, that there has been uh, this period of forgetting. Moses is now going to go back to the people who bear uh, the very name of, of, of God, of God's relationship. They are Israel. They are the Hebrews. He's going to go back to this people who was to resemble the very God who created. And Moses is concerned, when I go back to these people, they're likely to ask me, who is this guy. Moses isn't necessarily at this point completely confident in this revelation either himself. So not only is this a communication of Moses' understanding of the nation of Israel, they might have forgotten. It's also an understanding on behalf of Moses that he too isn't resting well in confidence and trust toward God. So, Lord, what am I going to tell these people 
On what authority am I going to make an appeal to them? And look what God says. God gives to Moses the authority upon which he is to make his appeal. He's going to give us a revelation of himself. God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered how throughout all generations. God makes this incredible declaration. God reveals himself to Moses who will in turn reveal this God to the nation of Israel. And notice in this passage of scripture, the Lord does that in at least two different ways. Now, we could spend the next two hours with one another and actually flesh out the pronunciation of I am who I say I am. We could look at that revelation in a variety of different ways, even from the Hebrew scripture, depending on what form the verb takes in the Hebrew. Scholars look at this text of scripture and there are at least five or six main prevailing understandings of how this name should should be revealed in terms of what form and the verb it should it should take you and I understand verb tenses we understand it in english to be present past and future well the wonderful thing about hebrew is it has a uh, a variety of different ways to express all three of those english verb tenses so scholars have really debated in terms of exactly what verb tense this is appearing in, but nevertheless, it is interesting that God has revealed himself in this verb form. But not only does God reveal himself in this verb form here in verse, in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, but then he also reveals himself in this text of scripture as Yahweh. How are we to understand this divine revelation of God? What does this revelation of God communicate to us who God is? First, this indication, this revealing of this name reminds us that God is a revealing God. We could translate this text, I am who I am, as I am or I will be who I will be. Moses is, or God is saying to Moses, I will be who I will be. I will reveal myself to you, Moses, at every moment, at every turn, so that you will know that in that moment, I am is leading you, and this I am is a very present help in a time of trouble. Aren't you thankful today that God is indeed one who continually reveals himself to his people? God is wanting Moses to know in this most intense 
directive that he has given Moses to go to the most powerful human in all of the earth and say to that powerful human, oh, by the way, God that you don't know wants you to let his people go. Moses isn't going to do that based on some abstract idea of who God is. So in this very intimate moment, the Lord says to Moses, I am a revealing God. I will be who I will be to you, Moses, to the nation of Israel, and to my creation. I will indeed reveal myself to you so that you might trust, so that you might have confidence to know I am who I say I am and I will accomplish what I tell you I will accomplish. God throughout this narrative with the nation of Israel is indeed going to be that one who is continually revealing himself to the nation of Israel. Will this be the last time that God reveals himself in some way to the nation of Israel throughout this narrative? No. The nation of Israel finally makes it out of Egypt, and they make it to Mount Sinai, and what does God do in his encounter with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai? He reveals himself. How does he reveal himself at Mount Sinai, friends? He reveals himself in a number of ways, but primarily through giving the nation of Israel his word. And see, friend, it is in that revelation that you and I come to rightly understand exactly who is God. God has continually revealed himself to you and me with an apex of revelation in the person of Jesus Christ. For as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 1, long time ago, in ages past, God spoke to us through his prophets, but in these last days, he has finally spoken to us through his son. And then we learn from Peter that not only is Jesus revelation for us. But friends, the way in which you and I clearly come to understand this great revealer has been given to us in this great book of revelation, the very word of God. May I say to you this morning, there is nothing about God that you need that hasn't already been revealed to you and me through his word. If you want to know God this morning, if you want to intimately have relationship with this God, this creator, this self-revealer, you can know him today fully, completely, by faith and trust and hope in his son Jesus and through his word. He is a revealer. I will be who I will be, but this isn't the only way for un us to understand this revelation of God. In chapter 14, I am who I am. We also understand him to be an all-powerful creator. 
This verb can also be translated in the, in the Hebrew through the hithpael uh, rendition of the verb, which we could translate it like this. I will cause to be what I cause to be. God is the divine cause behind absolutely everything. He is an all-powerful creator. I will cause to be what I will cause to be. Now, if you're the nation of Israel, and God reveals himself in this causative form, what are you thinking after having been in slavery for 400 years? Does God really seem to be all that powerful and mighty to you? Perhaps you're even thinking that God has developed divine amnesia by this time, right? God's fallen asleep. He really isn't engaged. He really isn't aware, but we've already seen from Hebrews, sorry, from Exodus chapter 2, verses 23, 24, and 25. We saw last week from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, that God is indeed fully and completely and totally aware, and we're going to see that in just a moment in summary statement here at the end of chapter 3. But God has not forgotten. God has not fallen down at the job. If you remember, when God made his covenant with, with Abram in Genesis chapter 15, he even told him way back then, by the way, I'm going to make you an incredibly powerful nation, but to get you there... I'm going to send you on a small little detour for 400 years. But if you're Moses now, and you have to go back to the nation of Israel, who in large ways has already forgotten who God is, and you want them to trust, you want them to have confidence in you, how in the world are you going to convince the nation of Israel to follow you out of slavery? When you reveal that you are a prophet on behalf of this one who is all-powerful. See, friends, the nation of Israel will, be, will need to be reminded, and they will be reminded here in just a few moments, that there is nothing that God cannot accomplish by his strong and mighty and powerful hand. There is no force, even though for sure in this text of Scripture, Pharaoh is going to juxtapose himself against Yahweh. Pharaoh is going to place himself in, ap in opposition against Yahweh as if he is some type of equal, competing, divine being. Pharaoh and the nation of Israel will learn there is no power that can match the mighty powerful of a causative being, Yahweh. I will cause to be what I cause to be. Lord, how will we make it out of here? I'm just going to split the Red Sea. Say what? You're going to do what? Yeah, I'm just going to 
split the Red Sea and allow the nation of Israel to go through on, on dry land. Then I'm going to drown a whole bunch of the Egyptians. How can God do this? Because he is one who can cause to be what he wants to cause to be. He is a God who from the very beginning spoke creation out of nothing into something. He is the God who is at this very moment directing your life and my life by the power of his being. Not only can Moses trust God, not only can the nation of Israel trust God, but friends, you and I can trust God. And friend, let me say to you at this moment, if you don't purpose in your heart at this very moment the goodness and the greatness of God, if you don't purpose in your heart now a deep and abiding trust in God, when the tsunami of life takes you over, don't be surprised when you swim to the top, having lost your faith and trust in God. Might I say to you this morning that one of the most grieving aspects of serving in the context of a local church, one thing that is so heartbreaking is to see people show up Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and sing and rejoice and pray and praise. And then when tragedy comes striking at their door, they leave the God they say they love. Friend, purpose in your heart now to trust this all-powerful, all-knowing, gracious, great God, and allow Him to sustain you through those moments of great difficulty. Not only is he one who reveals himself, not only is he this all-powerful creator, but we could also translate this verb, I am who I am, as I shall be who I shall be. So we not only learn that God is a revealing God, that God is this all-powerful God, but we also learn that God is a self-sufficient God. Friends, God doesn't need you or me to accomplish his will or purpose. God didn't need you or me in the very beginning to throw creation into existence. God didn't create because he, in terms of the divine trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were sitting in the heavens one day looking at each other saying, you know what, this is a very boring conversation. This is a lonely meeting. We are tired of this eternal boredom. And so the father says to the son, I have a great idea. I think we ought to pe create people in our image. Well, that sounds really interesting. 
And then the Holy Spirit says, well, wait a minute. Like, how are we going to make this, this happen? No such conversation ever took place. God was, God is, and God will forever be completely, totally self-sufficient. He shall be who he shall be. Yet, even in his self-sufficiency, the narrative of the text of Scripture is God has indeed created and formed and made and called to himself a people. And in this text of Scripture, as Moses thinks about this divine assignment of going to the most powerful man in all of the universe, what shall be a source of strength for him? Shall his source of strength be in his own might and his own power? No. Moses already knows he's somewhat of a coward. He supposed himself to be a mighty man of of valor. He went out and killed another man, and then as soon as he was confronted with it, what did he do? He didn't stick around and say, ha, I'm Moses. I dare Pharaoh to come after me. Let him try. No, what does Pharaoh do? What does Moses do? He runs away. Yes, he does. He runs away. We already know Moses is somewhat of a coward. God has not called his church to accomplish anything in the church's power. God has not called Moses to accomplish anything in Moses' power. God has called Moses and God has called you and me to accomplish everything in his power. He is a self-sufficient God. He shall be who he declares he shall be. And in that, my friends, this revelation of God to us as creator, as all-powerful, as revealer, as self-sufficient, is beautifully depicted in the present tense of this verb in chapter 14. I am who I am. Am for he is consistent in his character, being one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But notice what happens in verse 15. This revelation it continues, and we learn in verse 15. That God is a God of history. This one that is speaking to Moses, the one that spoke to Moses through the burning bush, the one who in this beautiful depiction of revelation is not a new God that has popped up in the wilderness. 
or among the plethora of gods in Egypt? No. He is a God of history. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am the God that your fathers intimately knew. I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He has sent me to you. By the way, five times in these verses, God says to Moses, I am sending you. Moses hasn't given himself a task. Moses has been given a task, and his task is to go and make this revelation of this God who is revealer, who is creator, who is self-sufficient, who is the God of history. And friends, in the same way that Moses has been sent to make this declaration of God, so too have you and I been sent to make a revelation of this great and glorious king. But like Moses, the only way for us to rightly reveal who God is is for God to have been revealed to us. Have you had an encounter with God today that's changed your life? See, the Bible says that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We are separated from an all-powerful creator. We are separated from a revealer. We are separated from this God of history. But in the same way this God of history revealed himself through creation, revealed himself through calling the nation of Israel, revealed himself time and time again to the nation of Israel when they fled to him, in the same way that this God has revealed himself preeminently to you and me through the sending of his son Jesus Christ, so too is God revealing himself to you today so that you might know him. Friend, if you're here today, and you've never trusted in Christ. You don't have confidence in this great and glorious King. Might I plead with you today to trust in Christ? For the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. And in that salvation, you can link your life with the lives of others, with the life of Moses, with the life of the nation of Israel, and being one who too has been sent to reveal this great and glorious King, God has made a revelation of himself to the nation of Israel. For what purpose, friends? So that the nation of Israel and Moses might trust and have confidence in God as being one who is who he says he is and one who will do what he says he will do. And look how that truth fleshes itself out in verses 16 through 22. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed 
I've observed you and what, what has been done to you in Egypt. I promise, verse 17, that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty." But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in the house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. God has given this divine revelation of who he is. You see what he says in verse 16? You can trust me a revelation of the character of God serves as a foundation of trust and confidence. Why can the nation of Israel, why can't God say to Moses and to the elders of the nation of Israel, you can trust me? Because they know the very character and nature of God. God has revealed himself to the nation of Israel. You can trust me. This is what he's saying in verse 16. Go, get the, nation, get, the, get the elders together. Say to them, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. God is saying, you can trust me. I know exactly what has been taking place in your life. Not only is God calling the nation of Israel to trust him, he's more specifically saying to them, you can trust my word. This is what he does in verses 17 uh, down to verse 20. You can trust my word. I am going to bring you to a land that is flowing with milk and honey. This isn't the first time God has said that to them, is it? You've heard this already in this narrative in Exodus. God is reminding them yet again, you can indeed trust my word. I promise you, I'm going to take you to this place that I promised to your father Abraham, to, to Isaac, and to, to Jacob. You can trust me. You can trust my word. You can trust my strength. Look what he says. Moses doesn't understand, sorry, Pharaoh doesn't understand anything but power. Pharaoh doesn't understand anything but might. Verse 19, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Perhaps the Israelites are thinking, well, we're not all that strong and powerful. 
But God is reminding through this statement the nation of Israel again exactly who he is. He is a self-sufficient God. He doesn't need them to accomplish anything on his behalf. Look what he says. I will go down with my own hand. Verse 20. I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Israel, trust in me. Trust in my word. Have confidence in my strength. Have confidence that I will do as I say I will do. Israel, have confidence that I will indeed provide for you. And this is what he does in verses 21 and 22. Who are the Israelites? Are they a group of powerful, wealthy oligarchs? No. They are a group of slaves who have nothing and own nothing except they are the people of God. God again saying to the nation of Israel, you don't need anything. Trust me. Have confidence in me. I am going to provide for you when you are in a position to have no provision for your own selves. Look what he says again in verses 21 and 22. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and you're going to go to them. You shall not go out empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall, what? Plunder the Egyptians. God is going to provide in a marvelous, miraculous way for the nation of Israel. God has revealed himself. Israel can trust God. They can have confidence in God that he is who he says he is and will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. Who is exactly this I am in whom we can place our faith and our trust and whom we can be confident? Jesus in John chapter 8 had an encounter with a group of Pharisees trying to entrap him in some measurable way. They already have found Jesus being guilty of blasphemy. They already sense in some way that Jesus is using language of himself that should only be used for God. So in John chapter 8, 
Verse 57, the Jews said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, do you see it in the text, friends? I am. Do you see what Jesus is doing in John chapter 8? Jesus is saying to the same group of people, the nation of Israel, I, Jesus, am this God that you claim you love and you adore and you admire. I am this creator. I am this revealer. I am this one who is self-sufficient. I am this one who can do for you what you can't do for yourselves. And so we hear Jesus in the Gospel of John as he takes us on this journey of exactly who he is. Jesus says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. What is Jesus saying? I will sustain you in your life. I will sustain your spiritual soul. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world to a world lost in darkness. Jesus is that source of light. Christ is our guide. Christ is the one who will lead us out of our slavery and into our redemption with with God the Father. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. Jesus is the one who protects his people. This is the story of the narrative of Exodus, is it not? I'm the bread of life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the light of the world. John chapter 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. See, friends, when you place your faith and your, and your trust, your confidence in the person of Jesus Christ, this is not the last expression of reality for your life. For the last expression of reality of our lives will be eternity with this all-powerful, all-loving, all-sufficient, creative being, God. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, John chapter 10, the good shepherd. Jesus is committed to watching over the souls of those who have placed their faith and trust in him. John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the source of all truth and all knowledge. This is why it was important for God to reveal himself as the I am to the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 3. And that same God in Exodus chapter 3 is this God in Genesis chapter 11. He is this one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And friend, you can never get to God apart from understanding this revelation of Jesus 
as the great I am. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. See, friends, it's only when we attach ourselves to Christ through faith and by faith that we experience the true source of life. See, apart from Christ, friend, you and I are not self-sufficient. I don't care how smart you suppose yourself to be this morning. I'm not concerned with how mighty you perceive yourself to be with your influence or your wealth or your intellect. For the Bible says all of those things will burn up as wood, stubble, and hay. But the only thing that will usher you and me into eternal life is not hope and trust and confidence in ourselves. But it's hope and trust and confidence in Jesus as the apex of God's revelation of being, I am. Have you trusted this I am today? Have you given your life to this I am today? Has God revealed Himself to you? In such a way that you can say with Moses and the nation of Israel, I have trust and confidence that God is who He says He is and will do what He says He will do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this divine revelation of Yourself to us. We thank You that You are indeed an all-sufficient, all-powerful, revealing God who has revealed Yourself to us so that we might have a right relationship with You, so that we might know who You are, so that we might join our voices with the voices of those throughout history who one day will stand around the throne of God and will sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So Lord, as we think about this revelation of Yourself, Increase our love and affection for you as a God who has revealed himself to us so that we might know you, so that we might trust in and have confidence in. Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning and reflect on this text of Scripture and the preaching of God's Word? Have you had an encounter with this revealing God in such a way that He's changed your life? In such a way that you can say this morning, I trust in and I have confidence in this divine being. 
I believe he is who he says he is. I believe that he will do what he says he will do. Have you trusted in God in this way today? Are you living your life trusting in Christ on a daily basis? Friend, if not, I pray this morning that you would be compelled by the preaching of God's Word to trust in Christ, to believe in God. For those of you who believe today, how does deepening your understanding of God increase your trust and confidence in Him? How does a confession of faith that God is all-powerful serve as a source of confidence in whatever situation you might be facing now in your life? How does understanding God as being self-sufficient, not needing anything, serve as a source of trust and confidence in your life? Would you ask God this morning to increase your faith and your trust and your hope in this God? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's Word. If you're here today and you never trusted in Christ, as we sing, myself and Pastor Travis will be down front. We would love to take a moment and share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, don't feel like you have to come forward and speak to one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people seated around you in this building this morning who would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Perhaps you would like one of us just to pray with you. That your strength might, that your faith might be strengthened. That your trust in God might be increased. And today as you have marveled in this revelation of who God is, that you desire this in your life, we would delight to shepherd your heart by praying for you in that way. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, may our response be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.